Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello and welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp. Wanted to shoot an episode today breaking down the Florida Gators on offense heading into spring football. Obviously, Blake and I talked a little bit about the big picture outlook for Florida heading into 2022 with a new coaching staff, Billy Napier, taking over after the Florida Gators went 6-7, and seven, ultimately parted ways with Dan Mullen. We talked a little bit about that big picture outlook on Monday. What I want to do today with spring ball starting on Next Tuesday, we're a little bit, you know, about under a week away, six days away from the start of spring practice. I want to sort of go through the roster and really talk about how I see the Florida Gators on offense going into 2022, starting in spring football, what we need to see, kind of where I feel like Florida is at with each position. And and obviously, you know, I think a lot of fans, uh, different analysts may disagree in certain areas, but that's okay. What I want to do is give you my outlook. Uh, I've covered the Florida Gators now uh, professionally dating back to 2009, so I've been around quite a bit. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty good pulse on the current team. Now, maybe not as good as in other years because with the realities of COVID-19, we haven't been out to practice. We haven't been able to see quite as much as we have maybe in years past. That should begin to change this spring, and so I think it's really important to you know, kind of give you the idea of of what I see going into spring. That way you have that framework to work with as we're able to get out there during practices under Billy Napier. He's going to handle things very much like Jim McElwain did at Florida. The media is going to have about 15 to 20, 25 minutes uh, sort of at the beginning of each practice before things really get going. So you won't see a whole lot necessarily in pads, um, but we will get to see how this coaching staff works with some of these players. We'll get to see, you know, some routes on air, that kind of thing. Um, you know, some some typically you see a little bit of seven on seven Pascal type stuff in spring football. So, you know, it, it'll be a little bit more for us to take away than just relying on sources like we've kind of had to do for the last two years when it comes to spring practice, fall camp. So that's going to be really exciting. And what I want to do is sort of break down my outlook of where the Florida Gators are at on offense. So without too much further delay, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, I've got the scholarship chart pulled up in front of me. And so what I want to do is kind of go position by position. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in 2021, because obviously I think that's important in discussing where the positions are at going forward. Um, And I think you have to start at quarterback. Right now you look at quarterback, Emory Jones, 
you know, was reportedly going to leave Florida during the offseason, uh, had, had intended to enter his name into the NCAA transfer portal, according to a report from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, now with ESPN. Obviously, Pete Thamel's a guy that's very, very plugged in. I know during the Jim McElwain era, uh, he had McElwain's ear, so was very tied into that. You would assume he's fairly well tied in with Billy Napier through some of those same connections, those two. Napier and McElwain, obviously very close, having coached together at Alabama for a number of years. Billy Napier leaned on Jim McElwain, obviously, when taking over the Florida job. Just in terms of big picture, what does what does Florida need to kind of get competitive at the Alabama, the Georgia-type levels? And Jim McElwain was pretty frank with him, I think, especially in terms of the facilities being a little bit behind. Billy Napier walked in, immediately made some changes to Florida's $85 million standalone football facility. But the bottom line is, you know, I think... It's fair to say that Pete Thamel's a guy that you can trust when, uh, like, I don't think this was a report that was made sort of out of the blue. I think things changed with Emory Jones at some point where he decided, okay, I'm going to at least stick around for the spring. Now, whether that's to get his degree, whether or not that's because the new coaching staff maybe said, hey, at least stick around, see what, you know, see what things look like in the spring after spring ball. If you still want to transfer, go for it. I'm not entirely sure. My thought process, based on what I've I've been told, is I, I would not be surprised to see Emory Jones transfer out after the spring. And if I I think the looking at the numbers that Florida has at the quarterback position right now, there's going to be some movement after the spring because right now Florida has six scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. They're already over the 85 man scholarship limit by a, a good number, a not insignificant number. I think I have them at 91 or 92. Right now, depending on how you classify a few guys, and Billy Napier's been honest with us, you know, they're going to have attrition after the spring. That's just how it works when you, you have a new coach coming in. Um, there's a little bit different vision for the program going forward. Schemes shift a little bit on both sides of the ball. And naturally, when you have a roster of, you know, 85, 90-something guys, that's going to leave a couple guys sort of in a position where at least with the previous staff, maybe they thought they could work with their way into the mix. Now they may begin to see, okay, Florida is not necessarily looking for what I bring to the table at this position. Or, you know, they're very honest with me that they don't see me as uh, quite at the level needed right now and I'm probably not going to play. Let me look for an opportunity elsewhere. Well, facts of the matter are when you have 91 scholarship players and you need scholarships, you start looking at where those scholarships are going to come from to trim down to that 85 number before fall camp. With six scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, I would be surprised if Florida does not have at least one quarterback move on. I I would be shocked, actually, absolutely floored, if at least one quarterback doesn't move on after the spring. And realistically, I think you could see two transfer after the spring. But just talking about it for now, obviously going into the spring, we are expecting Anthony Richardson to be somewhat limited by the meniscus operation that he underwent after the season. I know the Orlando Sentinel confirmed that he had that operation. Uh, Something like a three- to four-month recovery timeline is basically what I've been told. Uh, I know that my my colleague Bob Redman on Swamp 24-7 has indicated that, you know, from some sources he has within the team, that Anthony Richardson may be able to, you know, kind of ramp up his workload midway through spring. But at least for the beginning of spring practice, Anthony Richardson is going to be a little bit limited. And I think if you're a Florida fan, uh, I, I think most Florida fans assume that the starting job is Anthony Richardson's going into 2022. I think that's probably a safe assumption. A healthy Anthony Richardson is is far and away the best option on this roster. Now, having said that, 
you know, there are some things that Emory Jones brings to the table that obviously the, the previous coaching staff favored. I think for me, you know, the discussion really boils down to, is he a guy that you can win championships with? I think there's too many problems with the decision-making, the, the processing speed in terms of getting the ball out once you're going through a read to me is a little bit slow. You know, in my time covering Florida quarterbacks, I, I, I go back to Jeff Driscoll a lot for, for that particular type of issue because whether or not it was the um, this sort of mindset that was drilled into him by Florida's coaching staff when Will Muschamp was in charge with Jeff Driscoll in terms of, hey, don't turn the ball over, don't turn the ball over, and if you do that, we've got an excellent defense and a good run game that we can lean on to win games. Whatever the case, it seemed to slow down Jeff Driscoll's processing speed. And it was one of those things where if you sat with him in the team meeting rooms, if you sat with him in a film room, as they're going through film, he can point out to you all the things that are happening on the field. He can tell you exactly what he was thinking pre-snap, what he was looking at, how he expected the play to develop. The problem was sometimes even when he nailed sort of the pre-snap look and all that, you know, what was going to happen within a play, Sometimes the ball would still come out slowly because you'd, he'd, he'd have to sort of see exactly what happened. And I think, you know, as Jeff Driscoll eventually transferred and got into a system, you know, where it was different, you had a fresh start, that, that lack of confidence was no longer a factor. He was more productive at Louisiana Tech, obviously, right? I, I think Emory Jones is going to find himself in a similar situation. Now, Emory Jones does have the benefit of now he's in a new system, and Billy Napier and his staff can this spring, uh, as much as he's involved or as little as he's involved, sort of work with him on saying, hey, forget about what happened last year. You're in a new situation now. Here's kind of what we're looking for from you. At the end of the day, though, I I think Emory Jones, I I don't know that that processing speed in terms of, you know, kind of trusting it almost before you see it play out is really there, right? Um, And so I think for me, he's not the long-term answer. I, I would expect he moves on after the spring. Um, but in any case, uh, you look at the rest of the quarterbacks on the roster, I am not very high on this position group outside of Anthony Richardson. And having said that, Anthony Richardson is, is 100% the type of playmaker, if he can stay healthy, where he's an elite difference maker. He can, he can make a lack of top-end talent at the skill positions, which I know Blake and I talked a little bit on Monday, how we feel like you know Florida's got maybe some guys that can step up and be SEC level contributors, but we don't necessarily know if they have those five-star type guys, you know, the, the Percy Harvins, the Kadarius Tonys, that are guys that you have to cover. Um, I think if Anthony Richardson is healthy, he's the kind of quarterback that can disguise some of that and elevate everybody else to where, you know, you can win a lot of games if Anthony Richardson is playing the way that he's capable of and he's healthy for a full season. The problem is, so far, he's been in and out a lot with injuries He's not probably going to be able to fully participate this spring. And so Florida's staff has to start to look at some of these other options in the quarterback room. I think the number one guy that your mind goes to when you think about that is probably Jack Miller, the transfer from Ohio State who Billy Napier brought in. He's a guy that Billy Napier recruited at Arizona State when he was there as offensive coordinator back in 2017. Jack Miller ends up going to Ohio State, ended up getting passed on the depth chart fairly quickly there, was passed by a true freshman last year, Um, so obviously was looking for a fresh start, and I think when you have a guy like Billy Napier that recruited you out of high school, 
you certainly feel a lot better about the chance to sort of shift into um, a situation where, like I said, the quarterback depth chart at Florida is very unsettled right now. And there's no clear guy that's ahead if you're Billy Napier and his staff. Now, obviously, like like us in you know the media and the fan base, people that have seen Florida play you know, quite a bit, we're well aware of Emery's limitations. We're well aware of Anthony Richardson's upside. Billy Napier, I think, you know, he, he's not naive. He's going to have watched tape. He's going to know Richardson is probably his best long-term option. But I think he's going to make him work for it. And I think when you have a guy like Jack Miller coming in, uh, same class classification as Anthony Richardson, a redshirt sophomore to be in 2022, um, you can get some push. And I think there, there, there needs to be a little bit of a healthy competition at quarterback in that sense. So Jack Miller hasn't played a ton. I don't know what to make of him. Spring's going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to um, get our new Swamp 24-7 hire, Jacob Rudner, out there as well. Jacob is flying to Gainesville today uh, from the West Coast. So he'll be in town. He's going to be out there at every practice with me. So it'll be really awesome to have uh, a second and third set of eyes out there uh, between him and, and Bob Redman. Um, but I think what Jacob can provide is really a fresh perspective. And uh, I think that's that's vital, especially, you know, Obviously, I'll be new to Jack Miller as well, but but looking at some of these other guys, especially the receivers, uh, I think having a fresh set of eyes out there will be really cool. But I look at it, and I, I look at you know Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Jalen Kitna in the quarterback room. Uh, reports that were given to me from guys that were at practice last fall, those guys are, are, are ways away. I would expect they're at least a year away from being able to meaningfully contribute and unfortunately for them, you know any progress that they made, kind of picking up Dan Mullen's system at least scheme-wise, kind of goes out the window now to a certain degree. Um, now, there's some commonalities, obviously, in a lot of offenses, but um, they're maybe not, not as ahead as they would be going into a new system. But I think you look at it, six quarterbacks on the roster for year one is unsustainable. That's not a healthy allocation of scholarships. And I think that you don't bring in a Jack Miller, you don't bring in a 2022 signee Max Brown, unless you have an understanding that you're probably going to have some processing happen at that position after the spring. So what do I want to see out of quarterback in the spring? Honestly, I'm really focused on Jack Miller. Um, I, I, I'm not ruling out the possibility that Emory Jones ends up sticking around beyond the spring. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I think it's unlikely at this point. Again, partially because of those scholarships, partially because I think Florida needs a fresh start. And I think I think you're probably better served uh, kind of building around Anthony Richardson long-term and having him sort of compete with a guy that is on his level with Jack Miller. I think if you can work that competition going into the fall, I think you'll feel pretty good. I would expect those two guys come out 1-2 in some order going into the season. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Carlos Del Rio Wilson or Jalen Kittnett transferred knowing Max Brown's coming in, um, knowing that, quite, quite frankly, this quarterback room is just a little bit crowded right now. Typically, you're going to have three guys during the season that are getting reps. Anybody beyond that is going to be on the scout team. And so if you're in a situation where you have five scholarship quarterbacks on the roster going into the fall, two of those guys are on scout team. If you're a second-year player like Del Rio Wilson or Jalen Kittna, and you find yourself in that position, uh, maybe the new coaching staff isn't quite as high on you as the staff that recruited you. You may look for options elsewhere. But I think for me, the bottom line at the quarterback position going into spring football gotta develop somebody outside of Anthony Richardson. Uh, hopefully Anthony Richardson can partake some, but I'm not all that high on this quarterback position group. I think Anthony Richardson has the chance to be 
an all-SEC type player if he's healthy. The problem for me in the quarterback room is if Anthony Richardson is not healthy or he gets hurt during 2022, I don't feel great about what's left at that position. So spring is all about development for Jack Miller. Maybe uh, maybe you can bring Carlos Del Rio Wilson up to speed or a Jalen Kitna. Um, try to find a guy that you're comfortable with if Anthony Richardson gets hurt at some point and you bring in either Miller or Del Rio Wilson or Kitna and they struggle, you need to have another guy, a third guy ready. So I think spring is all about developing sort of, you know, the 1A or 1B to Anthony Richardson and then a capable backup after that so that you feel like going into fall camp, you have a pretty clear pecking order of three guys. That's where I'm at at quarterback. Uh, probably have talked a lot longer about that than I needed to. So let's shift over to running back. I don't want to keep you guys too long today. Running back, Blake and I talked about it. Um, you know, I, I think Montrell Johnson, the transfer from Louisiana, is a, is a great addition, if for no other reason than he's familiar with Billy Napier's system already. And that's a big deal going into spring football, having him on campus for the spring, because you need a guy that can sort of be an additional conduit to the guys that are learning the system along with the coaches, right? You're going to have Jabbar Jaluk in there teaching these guys. But when you have a Montreal Johnson that, you know, say Jabbar Jaluk says, hey, this is what I want from this drill. When you have a guy that you can throw in there for the first rep like Montreal Johnson and he can do it the way that Jabbar wants you know, the other guys to do it, it's, it's the learning becomes a lot quicker for the other guys. So overall, Florida loses Damian Pierce. They lose Malik Davis. That's a lot to lose at the position in terms of production. Naquan Wright coming off that, obviously, pretty significant foot injury against Florida State. Like quarterback, he is expected to be limited going into the spring. I'm not sure the entire workload he'll get, how much he'll do, really, if anything, in terms of carrying the ball when the pads go on. So I, I think he's a quality option, has shown he can play at the SEC level. Montrell Johnson, it'll be a step up from the Sun Belt Conference. Um, but if healthy, those two guys, I think you can you know count on being at least serviceable guys. The question for Florida goes back to what Blake and I were talking about. Can you have difference makers emerge at running back? And I think when you talk about running back, all eyes immediately go to Demarcus Bowman for me. Because Demarcus Bowman is a guy that was really, really showing out in spring football last year until he got hurt, had a knee injury, uh, kind of limited it. I believe it was spring football. Now I'm thinking about it. It may have been fall camp. But uh, I forget. Don't quote me on that. He, he had an injury either during spring or fall when he was really starting to make a push within the first week or two. Um, had, the, had the minor knee injury. Had to sit out for a bit, and that kind of put him behind the eight ball. He's a guy that I think can catch passes out of the backfield, which, again, when you talk about a receiver core that maybe doesn't have a ton of proven go-to guys right now, you, you can sort of carve out a role being a pass catcher, a guy that you can flex out to the slot. But he, to me, is the guy that Florida really needs to step up as a sort of home run threat, right? Montrell Johnson, uh, very, very capable running back at Louisiana tackle at, at Louisiana, but seems to be more of a between-the-tackles type. Um, I don't know that he has elite breakaway speed. Demarcus Bowman does. And so I think for spring, you know, focusing on uh, Demarcus Bowman's development is going to be a big deal. Obviously, Florida will bring in uh, Etienne in the summer, and I would expect that he'll be given the chance to contribute right away as well. Uh, but elsewhere in that Florida running back room, at least for the spring, Lorenzo Lingard is the other guy, another former five-star prospect. He had some knee injuries at Miami, really has not been able to make a difference so far. He's been at Florida for two years now. 
I know talking to Brett Diogardi, who is uh, on the Swamp 24-7 staff, does, does some work for us and has chimed in with his thoughts at times. Uh, Brett, talking to, to, to current players on the team, old teammates of his, Lorenzo Lingard is, is one of the, the fastest and most physical guys on the roster. He's, he's a guy that everybody raves about in the weight room. So, you know, maybe he has the chance to be sort of that all-around back that balances, you know, the between-the-tackles running of, of Montrell Johnson and Naquan Wright but also provide some of that breakaway speed like Demarcus Bowman. My hesitation with Lingard is he's been on campus at Florida for two years now, and um, I know that Florida's been very deep in the backfield, and that's what makes it tough to, to sort of get a pulse on exactly where Bowman and Lingard are, right? There haven't been a whole lot of opportunities. There hasn't been necessarily a whole lot of need for Florida to get those guys involved when you have Damian Pierce and Malik Davis and Naquan Wright all contributing at a re reasonably high level. Um, but he's been around a little bit longer and i feel like for for guys that when you're talking about breakaway threats when you're talking about big play impact type players typically if you're that guy you're making those plays in practice and you force your way onto the field um so we can debate whether or not lingard hasn't made an impact because of florida's previous staff's reliance on veterans guys that they trusted whatever um i'm not quite as high on lorenzo lingard as demarcus bowman personally um, that's where I'm at. I think this running back group relies in 2022 a lot on the breakout potential of Bowman and Lingard. I think you're going to be at a place where between Wright and Montreal Johnson, you're going to get at least serviceable play. And if the old line can block well, I think that can work for you. But if you're talking about elite breakaway threats, my eyes are on Demarcus Bowman this spring. He needs to be a guy that steps forward going into his third season here uh, he's got to be a big time playmaker so um, I've gone a little bit long what I want to do is take a quick break and we'll come back talking on the other side about receiver tight end and the offensive line because I think those are three positions uh, that have a lot of question marks as well and right on the other side of this break we'll talk about that and then I'll wrap up this episode of the podcast with my big picture outlook on the offense as a whole right after this commercial break Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, your host. We are talking about the Florida offense heading into spring football, and today I'm kind of giving you a position-by-position -position rundown of the offense. We'll be back on Friday talking about the defense, but for today, let's go ahead and dive into the receiver position. This is a position that I've sort of gone back and forth on a little bit. Um, I, I've kind of looked at running back and receiver going into spring football a little bit similarly in that at both positions, you sort of have a guy that 
you know you can count on at the SEC level, at running back, that being Naquan Wright. You know, he's going to produce at the SEC level. The question mark is, is he capable of becoming an all-SEC type player? I think the same is true of Justin Shorter at receiver. Justin Shorter is a guy that uh, sort of, you know, got caught behind Van Jefferson and and Freddie Swain and, and that whole class two years ago. And then last year sort of played second fiddle to Jacob Copeland, but emerged clearly as a guy that was an SEC level contributor. And I think from a leadership standpoint is absolutely the leader in that locker room at the receiver position. I think given his size, he's going to be a, a guy that should be, you know, kind of the go-to guy for Florida next year. The question mark for me is the way Dan Mullen has recruited at receiver over the last couple of years. Florida has a lot of bigger bodied receiver types. When you look at Justin Shorter, you look at Jamarcus Weston, Trent Woodamorge, Quavian Frazier, Xavier Henderson, Dejon Reynolds, Marcus Burke. You've got a lot of guys in that 6'3", 6'4", even you know taller uh, mold, right? What you don't have is slot receivers. You don't have almost any of those small, shifty guys. I think Jordan Pouncey is the shortest receiver on the roster at 6'1". So you don't have a lot of you know, guys that are great in short area, that short area quickness, able to sort of break break guys down with their footworks in a uh, footwork in a phone booth, and then sort of get loose underneath. Trent Whittemore is the guy that I would expect to be that starting slot receiver because he is a very crafty route runner. And I think if you go back and watch a lot of the film from last year, you watch a lot of the game tape. Trent Whittemore is a guy that is open on those all 22s quite a bit, and Florida struggled at quarterback. I know that was one of the things I talked to Blake about on Monday is it's a little bit hard to judge this receiver group right now because the the accuracy at quarterback and the decision making simply wasn't there last year. You had receivers open at various points and Florida just couldn't find them. I think Trent Whittemore is a guy that could be poised for a breakout season from that sense. What I want to see at receiver is whether or not Florida has any guys that can be threats with speed that can make plays after the catch. And I think that's where a guy like Marcus Burke checks in. He was, of the two true freshmen last year, Dejon Reynolds and Marcus Burke, he was the guy that started to get involved, even with Florida staff's penchant for playing older players at the position. He started to get involved late in the season. Uh, I think a lot of people are very, very high on him. But between him and Dejon Reynolds and Jaquavian Frazier, those three guys primarily... I think you need to have somebody emerge. Xavier Henderson, in my mind, has proven himself as an SEC adequate receiver. Um, I don't know that he'll ever emerge as a number one. And one of the reasons I say that is despite his excellent straight line track speed and ability to get downfield when he's running fly routes, I don't think his speed necessarily translates uh, once you're talking about change of direction and that kind of thing. I, I felt like, especially watching him on punt returns, his skill set just doesn't really lend to that short area quickness of um, k- kind of the, the the quick twitch ability that allows you to get open with your route running um, when you have routes that run a lot of cuts, right? To me, he's sort of the guy that needs to be taking the top off defenses in Billy Napier's offense, which I think for those that haven't watched a whole lot of Louisiana, Billy Napier's offenses really seem to be built on establishing the run and then going play action. And where it differs a little bit maybe from Dan Mullen's offense, Dan Mullen's offense built a lot of um, sort of route trees that that had multiple 
levels to attack. And, and Billy Napier does that as well. But I think what you see Billy Napier do is they very frequently take shots downfield. And they do that to keep the safeties out of the box. I don't think we really saw Florida do that a whole lot, um, especially last year under Dan Mullen. I, th I think they did it more uh, with that 2019 receiver group. Um, but we didn't really see a whole lot of downfield shots last year. Now, some of that's the O-line has to protect. But I think Xavier Henderson, if you're looking at receiver, he needs to be the guy that takes the top off. I look at those other three guys, Frazier's, Reynolds, and Burke. Those are the three that I'm going to be really focusing on this spring. I think at least one of those guys breaks out and becomes a, a starter. And then I think really, I think one of those guys will have the potential by year's end to emerge as the team's leading receiver. And I think that needs to happen. Um, elsewhere at the position, I'm not super high on Jamarcus Weston. Just haven't seen a whole lot out of him. So I go back to, you know, like I said at running back, you have, I think, one or two guys that are SEC-capable guys, right? They can produce um, what you would consider sort of that, you know, replacement-level production. Um what you need to see is guys that can then that can exceed that and be all SEC types. Keep an eye on Frazier's, Reynolds, and Burke for me. I, I don't know which of the three I would pick to break out. I personally am, am pretty high on Reynolds, and I know that he has probably not gotten talked about as much as Frazier's and Burke. Um, I, I keep an eye on Dejon Reynolds in the spring. I think for Florida, you know, going into the season too, I think this is going to be a position where there's a lot of rotation. You're going to see five to six guys that the staff identifies, and then early in the season, the first maybe three weeks or so, you're going to see them really hone in on who that starting group of three needs to be, who the guys that are on the field. Uh, I'm actually a little bit higher on the potential at receiver than I am at running back. Uh, I'll go ahead and say that. I, I like the potential of Frazier's, Reynolds, and Burke as a young core, given the fact that you've already got a Shorter, you've got a Whittemore, and you've got a Henderson, who are at least SEC level, you know, even if not that all SEC level. So I'm a little less concerned about receiver than I was maybe a couple of weeks ago. My thinking has come around on that. Now, we'll see at the end of spring. If, if some of these guys don't step up, my, my tune will change there. But let's move ahead to tight end. Tight end, obviously, uh, I think the loss of Kimari, Kimari Gamble was probably a little bit more significant than a lot of fans think. Uh, he was never going to be a Kyle Pitts, first and, first and foremost. Never going to be a Kyle Pitts. Florida was never going to be able to replace a Kyle Pitts. But when you look at the production that Florida had last year at the tight end position, somewhere around 550 yards, I went back and actually looked at it when I was writing a, a tight end preview for Swamp247.com for the spring. That was right in line with the last decade's average, even when you include those two massive years for, for Kyle Pitts and the, the big year that Jordan Reed had back in 2012. That was right around average, and, and Kimari Gamble made up the vast majority of that with 430-ish yards in that tight end group. So Florida has a lot of production to replace at the position. The good news Keon Zipper returns as a veteran. I think he was underutilized last year. I will continue to say that. He's a guy that, you know, may not be an elite inline blocker, but is is decent and certainly a, a well-balanced tight end that you can count on. Again, is he a matchup nightmare? I don't know. When I look at tight end, uh, I look at the way that Billy Napier recruited. They brought in three signees at tight end. None of them will be on campus for the spring. They'll all be arriving this summer, but when you talk about Tony Livingston, Hayden Hansen, and Arliss Boardingham, when you sign three guys in the same class at tight end, I think it tells you two things. First, Billy Napier is absolutely going to use the tight end position quite a bit within this offense. I think the running game is going to be built on 
the ability to play two tight end sets, work at a 12 personnel f from time to time. Um, I would imagine that some of these guys gear more towards inline blocking. I think Jonathan Odom, if he's a guy that's around beyond the spring, probably sort of your, your more inline blocking focused tight end. Whereas I think a guy like Nick Elksness, who redshirted last year, was absolutely raved about in fall camp. He's the guy I'm watching almost singularly in spring ball because he has that six foot six frame extremely athletic knows how to use his body and has great body control in the air a lot of the same things that we were talking about with Kyle Pitts after his freshman season when he was going into his sophomore year had that ability to sort of split out almost even be a receiver at times Nick Elksness has that and I think if you're looking for a star to emerge at tight end Nick Elksness is the guy but last thing here at tight end before I wrap up this position when you sign three guys, again, that's a position. I, I think that Florida would probably like to carry five to six per year, given the importance of that position to Billy Napier. But I think when you sign three in one class, and we talk about class balancing, to me that's an indication that somebody is on their way out after the spring. I don't like to speculate on who that may be. I think Keon Zipper is a guy that... Um, given his SEC experience, you probably try to keep around. Nick Elksness is a guy that I absolutely would not expect to go anywhere because I think he's going to turn into an, an absolute star at the position going forward. Uh, but some of those other guys, keep an eye on after the spring. I like Florida's potential at tight end. I like the mix of bodies that they have. And I think if you can get one of those freshmen to contribute as a true freshman, I feel pretty good about the tight end position going into 2022. Perhaps the single biggest position for Florida going into 2022 feels like we've been saying this for more than a decade now going back to 2010 the offensive line this is the spot where Florida has to get better and Blake and I talked about it I think the starting group on the offensive line right now has the potential to be really good and when I say really good I'm talking top five in the SEC as a unit I think they have that potential when you look at sort of left to right Richard Giraj, Ethan White, Kingsley Egwakan, uh, Osiris Torrance, the transfer out of Louisiana, coming in, expected to be sort of a one-and-done player, although he has more eligibility beyond that, expected to sort of be that one-and-done player, NFL-type guy. Uh, I think he's going to be a bigger impact player than Stuart Reese was, a guy that Florida took a couple years ago under Dan Mullen. I think he has a, a chance to be a bigger impact than him. And then at right tackle, we're thinking probably Joshua Braun, but you also have Michael Tarquin, who began to, got more, began to get more experience last year at the position, finally started to hold his own, is a guy that's been on campus for a while, certainly will be in that mix. If not, as a starter, he's, he's one of your top backups. And then I think the, the seventh guy on the offensive line that you're looking at who got some experience uh, was Richie Leonard inside. Played some center when Kingsley was banged up, can also play guard. Um, I'm not very high on 6-7 and seven right now, and my 6-7 and seven being Tarquin and Leonard. I think Richie Leonard has to get significantly more stout in terms of holding his own at the point of attack. I thought he got pushed around a little bit too much last year. For Tarquin, I think, you know, struggle with speed off the edge. Uh, I, I didn't notice necessarily a huge lack of power from him or lack of anchoring. Just, just the inability to keep up with those elite SEC speed rushers was my chief concern. But... From a starting standpoint, that starting five is pretty good. And you have to remember that Florida last year, when its starting five was healthy, 
really that first month of the season, they were pushing people around. I mean, they were they were running for a lot of yardage on just about every team they faced, including Alabama. So I think you have a lot of potential. And the one thing you have to give Florida credit for, and, and this applies to multiple positions on offense, Florida staff was actually really good at developing players, right? We can, we can hate on Dan Mullen's staff all we want, particularly the offensive staff for their lack of recruiting. When we talk about the lack of elite guys at running back and receiver, it's the inability to land those top 100 prospects, those five-star types, that really hurt. And that's what Florida's missing right now. But when you look at running back, what Billy Napier and his staff are going to inherit, they're going to inherit a group that knows how to pass block. Florida is one of the best, was one of the best pass blocking teams from the running back position that I've seen in college football. Greg Knox, say whatever you want about him recruiting, knew how to coach those things. Same is true at receiver, where Billy Gonzalez worked with these receivers. Billy Napier's walking into a unit where the receivers know how to block on the perimeter. They're pretty good route runners. Billy Gonzalez, again, maybe not quite great at landing those five-star types, but you've got a lot of four-star guys on the roster. That quality of depth is deeper than it was when Jim McElwain left. So you've got options. If Florida staff can come in and continue to develop, same is true on the offensive line. These guys, these starting five, learned a lot of good things from John Hebesey. They've learned a lot of good technique. And if the new staff can come in and sort of, there's, it needs to be a two-pronged approach, right? You need to make sure that the new direction in terms of the scheme that you're you know, implementing is fully understood, that everybody's on the same page there. And then you need to make sure that physically you're pushing these guys to the brink with the strength and conditioning program. Because the one thing I think Florida's offensive line has lacked really over the last couple of years is finishing, right? They need to finish blocks. You need to drive through blocks. And to me, that's part and parcel a problem with the way that the recruiting on the offensive line has been. I think you need these four-star types, these guys that have a little bit of nastiness to them. And I think Florida's got a couple of those guys in that starting five. My problem is, again, the depth on the offensive line is just not that good. It's not that good. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, Riley Simons, William Harrod, uh, those two guys have been around for quite a long time. I'm not really sure I'm counting on anything from them, right? Um, I think some of the younger guys, Austin Barber is a guy that has a lot of potential at tackle, a six foot six type guy, a lot of reach out there. Uh, Yusef Mugerbill is a guy inside, I think, that can play guard. I like him a lot as a prospect. So you've got some younger guys. Florida will have some some younger guys coming in in the spring. you got Cameron Waits, a transfer they took from Louisiana, who was a guy that was primarily a basketball player, but, again, is one of those athletic types that could be a good tackle down the road. Offensive line, to me, I think in the spring, you're looking at, you want that starting five to really dominate Florida's defensive front. I, I think Florida has enough question marks on the interior of the defensive line Florida's offensive line should be winning in spring ball a good bit, at least that starting unit. Now, if the second unit's not doing that, that's fine. Um, you need some development there. But Florida brought in two O-line coaches for a reason. I think Rob Sale is an excellent, excellent developer of talent. I don't know as much about Darnell Stapleton, but I would imagine as a guy that played in the NFL for quite a bit, a guy that has a Super Bowl ring, he's probably going to be able to get guys' attention. And I think the, the ability of Billy Napier's staff to develop and sort of process. Like, again, I go back to scholarships. There's going to be some processing after the spring. I, what I want to see is I want to see second-year types start to put themselves into a position where they're being counted on in the rotation on the offensive line. I think the fact that Florida didn't have more second-year types 
going back to like when Michael Tarquin was in his second year, when uh, Kingsley, I think, contributed a little bit more in his second year. But some of these other guys, like Herod, Simons, uh, the fact that they didn't have more guys contributing in their second year who had sort of the bigger upside, to me, is a little bit of the problem. I want to see in spring ball, Florida start to develop to be about eight deep, nine deep, ten deep. I, I don't know that that'll happen, um, but I'm I'm high on this group, and I'm telling you, if Rob Sale is the developer of talent that I think he is on the offensive line, I think we could look at this Florida offense very differently after a couple weeks in the season once they have a chance to sort of mesh with not only the new starting five, but the new scheme. So overall, for me on offense, I think there are two things that I look at. One, if Anthony Richardson can stay healthy, I think you can cover up a lot of the lack of sort of elite threats currently at running back and receiver. I like tight end. I think that position could end up being a strength for Florida. Uh, I think the second thing is if the offensive line is able to develop or or just even stay healthy with that starting five, right? Because if Florida's starting five had stayed healthy last year, we're looking at a very different season. Dan Mullen may still be around. Part of the problem was they didn't recruit the depth to make up for it if they did get hurt. And I think that needs to be a focus this spring. But if that starting five on offensive line can stay healthy and Anthony Richardson can stay healthy, this is going to be a good offense next year. Now, it, it, I don't think that they're going to put up the kind of numbers in terms of points per game, yardage per game that Dan Mullen's units did. But I think you can win a lot of games if Anthony Richardson and this starting five stay healthy. Spring ball, to me, is all about coming out of spring feeling like you have more options for guys that can turn into starters, right? I don't necessarily need to know with certainty that a Demarcus Bowman or a Lorenzo Lingard are like putting themselves in position to start or that Jaquavian Frazier's or Dejon Reynolds or Marcus Burke are like turning into the number one guy. But I'd like to exit spring football knowing that all three of those guys at receiver, that those two five stars at running back are showing the potential that going into fall camp, Florida feels comfortable with all those guys in the sense that there's true competition and those guys begin competing with each other. And then as you get into games during the fall, you build confidence, guys start to emerge and break out and really become those go-to all-SEC types. I don't think this offense gets fully solved in year one. I don't think the talent is all the way there yet. But I think that you're going to have, like I said Monday, I think you're going to have the potential because the quality of depth that Dan Mullen recruited was a little bit better towards the bottom of the roster, you're going to have a good enough nucleus in place that Florida will go into fall camp feeling pretty good about the ability to have competition. And then I think beyond 2022, if you can land some of these five stars, the state of Florida loaded with five-star receivers in this 2023 class. If you can land some of those types, you're talking about plug-and-play guys going into 2023. Anthony Richardson with another year, potentially. You're talking about an offense that could be really cooking with gas in year two under Billy Napier. Now, that's a long way away. Spring football, we've got a lot of football coming up starting next Tuesday. So I'll be out there. Jacob Redner will be out there. Bob Redman will be out there with us. We'll be ready to cover it for you. But that is what I am looking at on offense going into spring practice at each position. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot during spring football. I think there's going to be attrition after the spring at quarterback. I think there's going to be a lot of healthy competition at running back and at receiver. And hopefully Florida can develop a little bit more on the offensive line. But guys, for today's episode of the podcast, that's going to do it. I've written a lot on Swamp 24-7 about spring football, continuing to write 
about spring football, previewing things, but hopefully today's episode of the podcast gave you a little bit better idea of where I stand on the offense going into spring football. That way we can sort of talk about it as we see these practices, these 15 to to 20, 25 minute windows, once spring ball opens up, once we're able to talk to assistants, coaches, see how things are going. And that should give us sort of the framework for how things are developing in the spring. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Sorry I went a little bit long today, guys. That'll do it for today's episode of the podcast. My plan is to be back on Friday with a similar look at the defense. I'll be honest with you, I am very high on the defense's potential. I think I've said that numerous times throughout this this offseason. I think the the change in scheme is going to be a great benefit. I think there's a lot more talent on defense than a lot of people are giving Florida credit for. But we will talk about that on Friday. I appreciate you tuning in. If you're listening to the podcast on YouTube, be sure to hit like and subscribe. If you're listening elsewhere, please leave us a favorable review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening. It helps us reach more people. We're trying to grow the audience. We're getting back to shooting on a more normal schedule. So that'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.